Romans, Paul went from us being under the threat of the judgment of God and the wrath of God to grace abounding. That's the way he ends chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he begins to talk about the freedom that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do today, talk about today, as we continue our look at the book of Romans. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, we've been in the book of Romans a long time. Look, did you know that Romans is why we are here? The book of Romans is really why Baptists are Baptist, Baptist and Methodists are Methodist and Presbyterians are Presbyterians. That one day a monk named Martin Luther read the book of Romans and his life was transformed as a result. And from that day to this, we are who we are because of this book. This book is one of the most important books in the Bible. Let me say something about the service tonight. By the way, as we introduce uh, our interim director of our preschool and, and the preschool staff, what we want you to do is we want you to see how the Lord has put things together. Uh, really something only God can do. One of those things, we'll explain that to you tonight. Tonight you'll be hearing a testimony about how God has worked. You'll be getting a picture about how God can continue to work. And so it's important that you be here tonight. Don't just say, well, that's nothing important that's nothing for me it's not going to inspire me tonight may be well may well be one of the more inspirational services that you've ever been to there'll be a, a, a reception after it's over for our preschool staff and just to say we love you and we're thankful for you and so we hope that uh, you'll be here tonight so uh, we're looking at what Paul said last week uh, we said uh, we, we began we over the last couple of weeks, I've used uh, two words that, that might have helped you or might have confused you. On the one hand, Paul talks about who we are positionally because we're in Christ. But on the other hand, he talks about who we can be practically. You know, practically can be different from, from positionally. In other words, if I'm in Christ, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is who I am. It's not who I might be. It's who I am because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not who I am because of something I've done. It's who I am because of something Christ has done for me and in me. But further, not only so, we have to think about who we can be practically because of this thing that the Lord has done. So uh, positionally, uh, Paul said, sin is to no more have dominion over me. That's Romans 6.14. It's no more to have dominion over me. I don't have to live under my old master anymore. That's who I am positionally, but that may not be who I am practically. Uh, now, if it's not, it should be. I ought to have a passion in my heart uh, to live for God, to be who God wants me to be, to live my life without sin, and to be free from sin. The cry of my soul should be freedom. I shouldn't be content to say, well, although this is who I am positionally, it's not who I am practically because then, uh, and, and say that's okay because I'm no longer under law, but under grace, such an attitude just says I'm looking for an excuse to sin or, or I can justify sin. Sin is not that big of a deal. And so that's why we pick up reading in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul says, For sin will, have no, will no longer have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? 
Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having become, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your human, your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in, in these verses, we read about the freedom, the freedom that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul talks about this freedom using one very simple illustration. It's important to understand. And he says that. That's why he says, I'm talking about this because of your natural limitations. I want you to understand that. And his illustration, this is Paul's illustration, is slavery. That's the first point of the message. We're looking at Paul's illustration, the one he talks about. Now, slavery was abolished in this country, as you know. But in the world to which Paul was writing, one-third of all the people in Rome were slaves. Not only so, there were another portion of those people who had been slaves so that it could be said that half of all the people who lived in Rome at the time of Paul's writing either were slaves or had been slaves. It was a very practical and understandable illustration. They understood the financial, emotional, and social ramifications of slavery. It was devastating. They knew what it was to be under the domination of a master, to have no will of their own. So half the people, perhaps Paul was writing to, knew had been a slave. They knew what it was like. The other half never been a slave. But what Paul is saying, everybody is a slave. He leaves no one out. He says in verse 16, look at verse 16. He said, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, he wasn't talking about uh, physical slavery. He was talking about spiritual slavery. It was, uh, it was almost like being in a prison from which one couldn't escape. As you know, many of those who were slaves did try to escape. 
They tried to break free from their master and either were recaptured or re-enslaved by another master. The slaves were bought and sold on a marketplace like cattle. The master had no concern for them or their family. The master used them and abused them until they were spent and worthless and barely alive, of, of no use to themselves or, of anyone, or to anyone else, then he might release them. And you say when you hear that, what an evil master. That's the way it was in first century Rome. Jesus said in, in John 8, uh, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Sin is an evil master. That's what Paul is saying. He's referring to sin and the slavery of sin. They knew this picture. They knew this life. But Paul here is making an emancipation proclamation. He says in verse 14, Sin no longer has dominion over you. And he says it several times in the verses that follow. You have been set free from sin. Sin should no longer be your master. You need no longer to fear him or to serve him. Now, that didn't come about through their own power. It came about through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it before. He said, Jesus is the one who died to sin. He won the victory when he died to sin, and he lives to God. Now, reckon yourselves also dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Speaking of the Emancipation Proclamation, did you know that when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, it was an executive order? That's what it was. Did you, you, we hear about executive orders today. And it freed, it freed only, or it declared to be free, only the slaves living in the Confederate states. It, I thought, I had always thought until I found out more, that the Emancipation Proclamation was decreed after the war. It was not. It was decreed during the war, and it related only, only to the slaves living in the Confederate states, not to the slaves living in the border states. The border states were not free by the Emancipation Proclamation, nor were all the slaves in the Confederate states free because some of the counties within the, within the Confederate states were under Union control, and those slaves were not freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. It declared the freedom of only those within the Confederate states who were in rebellion, and it really freed no one. All it did was to encourage the slaves a, who were able-bodied to enter the war on behalf of the Union and fight for their own freedom. Therefore, it was at great risk to the person who was a slave to leave their master and leave their family and go and fight for their freedom. Their freedom, in fact, depended not on an emancipation proclamation but on the Union Army winning the war. If the Union Army had not won the war, they would have not been free at all. Abraham Lincoln had no power to free the slaves. Did you know that? I didn't know that until not long ago. But here, Paul says, the war has been fought and won. Jesus Christ won the war in your behalf on the cross. 
And now sin no longer has dominion over you. Sin is no longer your master. Paul's Emancipation Proclamation is a standing fact. Jesus Christ died to sin. He lived to God. So reckon yourselves also dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Anyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has been set free. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is Paul's illustration. Slavery. Now we need to look at the application. How does Paul apply this to the believer? Remember, we're talking about the believer. Here's point number two, Paul's application. And his application refers to the believer still living under the old master, positionally set free from sin, Sin no longer has dominion in that person's life. But practically, sin is still their master. At least to some degree, they're in bondage to sin. And it's a bondage that Paul calls slavery. But this slavery to sin, as Paul points out, is not a helpless slavery. It is a willing slavery. How is that so? He said, you present yourselves as obedient slaves. It's almost as if you volunteer to your old master to do his bidding. In this case, that master is sin. Now, I'm speaking now to those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to think of the last sin that you committed. Or let's go ahead and speak of the sin that has become a habit and escape for you. Does anyone make you do it? Does anyone lash you with a whip and force you? Does anyone threaten your family or withhold your pay if you refuse? No, you do it willingly. You present yourselves as obedient slaves and you obey sin. You want to do it. And when you commit sin, what happens when you commit that sin? Can you, can you wipe your mouth and walk away and say, oh, I'm finished with that. I'll, I'll never do that again. I'm through with that. No, that's not the case. It is, as Paul says in verse 19, in the middle of that verse, he says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. You know for a fact when you obey sin. It's not once and done. It's again and again and again. It launches into a hopeless, helpless cycle until what you only volunteered to do first, at first, now you find you can't stop doing. It leads to more of the same. Paul asked an interesting question in verse 21. He said, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? He said, when you were eating off the old tree of sin, what did that fruit taste like? What good did it do you? Did it make you stronger? Did it make you happier? Did it make you healthier? Did it make you feel free? Did it strengthen your marriage? Did it strengthen your relationship with God? Was it something that after it was done that you wanted to go home and tell your family about? No, it was something of which you were ashamed, Paul says. It gave you nothing. All it did was to steal, kill, and to destroy. And that is all your old master sin will ever do. And so Paul reminds them of this master and what their old, the old master paid. In, in Romans 6.23, he said, the wages of sin is death. That wages is what you get when, at the end of the day. Wages is, is what 
They pay Tommy at the dollar store. Wages is what you pay me on the 15th and, and on the 1st of, of every month. Wages is what you get when you get paid. But what if your pay doesn't give you anything but pain and heartache? And that's what Paul's saying. That's all sin pays. There, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the old master's sin, he'll give you a little bit, but he never tells you what it really costs. Now, while we can take that application and push it, push it forward into the future and say that the wages of sin is death and it's talking about the second death and hell and it certainly says that, we can also apply it to all that can, sin kills in the present. Look in the mirror and tell me that sin doesn't kill your self-esteem. It kills your relationships. It kills your relationship with God. It kills your joy. It kills your purity. It kills your innocence. It kills your spiritual growth. It kills your confidence in the future. And we could go on and on talking about this death-dealing master that you serve voluntarily, knowing every time that these things are true. Paul said, the old master has no more dominion over you. John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, let's make no mistake about it. We've talked about being in Adam, and we've talked about being in Christ. And if I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am in Christ. In Adam, everything, all the consequences of Adam's sin were mine. In Christ. All the consequences of his death on the cross are mine. That's true of me positionally. It's true of you positionally. But how do I make it true practically? How do I make it true practically? And here we get to the third point of the message, and that is the implementation. And the implementation is obedience from the heart. Remember, Paul speaks of presenting yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, and he says that, when you do that, you are essentially volunteering to be the slave of the one you obey. Now, he said, what you need to do is you can voluntarily sin and continue to eat the rotten fruit of sin and be the slave of sin, or else you can volunteer to be the slave of God. Now, I have read this passage of Scripture in the past with the same feeling that you have when you read it. And that, that feeling is, well, I know what he's talking about here, me being a slave of God, but the problem is I don't want to be anybody's slave. Isn't that the way we think? Do you know why we think that way? Because the old master's sin is back there saying, you don't want to live a slave for God, do you? You know what God will do. I know what God's word says. I know he said when you eat of it, you'll surely die, but you won't die. And, and essentially we go right back to the garden where the serpent on the one hand was offering Adam and Eve life when God had already given them life and, and many more blessings beside, but they chose to distrust God. And what happened? They voluntarily obeyed sin. Had God ever beaten them? Had God ever harmed them? Had God imprisoned them in that garden or threatened them? No, he warned them, but he warned them because he loved them. He cared about them. He knew that the wages of sin would be death. And what happened when they sinned? Well, they died, and their children died, and their grandchildren died, 
and their children died, and you and me and everybody else, we all die. The wages of sin is death. But Paul is telling us that because Christ died to sin and lives to God, the battle's been fought and won. There's not a war for you to fight in. The, the battle for you is a battle to surrender your own will to God, to say, God, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I want to be your slave. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. Well, why should you want to do that? Well, he calls it obedience from the heart. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. And then in verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now this is a picture of a choice. And I realize, and even Paul realized, that slavery is a horrific illustration. It's a bad illustration. You shouldn't use it. Well, Paul was using it in a world where half the people that he was talking about were slaves. And he said, what you need to do is be obedient from the heart to a new master. Let me show you an Old Testament picture of that. I think it's a perfect Old Testament, a perfect picture, but it's still not very good because it's talking about slavery, okay? So if you look in Exodus chapter 21, in the Old Testament you could even... Let's say I could get Sid here, uh, a former Marine, Master Sergeant in the Marines. And I could say, okay, Sid, you're going to be my slave. I'm going, Sid owes me some money, so I'm going to make him my slave. Sid would have to serve me six years as my slave. That doesn't seem very right. But listen to what the Bible says about this. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single... He shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, and the wife and her then, then the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, if the slave plainly says, please listen to this, if the slave plainly says, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I don't want to go. I want to stay here. And I want to serve my master forever. This is what the Bible says. Then his master shall bring him to God. And he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall take an awl, a hammer, and a nail and put a hole in his ear and he shall be his slave forever because he wanted to be. And the emphasis that I want you to see there is because what he said, I love my master. Maybe he loved his wife too. Maybe he loved his children too. But the emphasis in the scripture there is I love my master and I want to stay he was obedient from the heart look that's what God's calling for here I want you to trust me I want you to love me I want you don't listen to the old master 
Don't listen to him when he tells you this is good for you. This is good food for you. This will make you wise. Don't listen. Listen to me because I love you. Listen to me. You no longer have to live under the domination of sin because Jesus Christ set you free. When he died on the cross, he defeated sin and death. And because of that, you can be free simply by trusting him and his victory. Make his victory yours by saying, Lord, please let me serve you. I don't want to serve sin anymore. I don't want the rotten fruit of sin in my life anymore. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful thing it is to serve the Lord. What a terrible thing it is to serve sin. This morning, this morning you're being asked to volunteer. Not to fight a war, but to serve a master. The devil, on the one hand, says, I would like you to serve me. I can offer you some things. Just like he offered Jesus. You know, he said, I'll take you up here to the top of the temple, and you can jump off, and the angels can catch you. And Jesus said, I think I'd rather serve the Lord. I think I'd rather obey him. Him only shalt thou serve. And then the Lord says to you, I'll give you my very best. I'll give you my plan for your life. And I'll give you eternity in heaven with me. I just want you to trust me. And I want you to love me. And I want you to catch a glimpse of how much I love you. I want obedience from the heart. Let's pray.